may be seated. All right. So one of the things as we walk forward today in the text that we're in, we're going to be in Job chapter 8. And Job is really an interesting book. It's a, it, it's, it's a book filled of intrigue, brokenness. And you try to wonder what is going on in this book. But we have seen some great things happening in Job. We saw uh, a conversation in heaven happening that Job was not made privy to, and neither were his friends. And that conversation, God actually brings up Job before Satan and tells him, have you considered my servant Job? There's no, you know, he's a righteous man. There's, I, I find no fault in him. He is, he rejects evil. And, and then he sets forth and Job loses everything. His family, his wealth, and then finally his health. His wife tells, God, uh, tells him to just curse God and die. Not exactly encouraging words, I know, but that is the book that we're in. And Job is broken and he's hurting and he begins to complain. And he begins to cry out before God. By the way, let me start with this. God can handle our brokenness. And he can handle our doubts. And he can handle our hurts. And he can even handle us questioning him. But one of the songs that has become really dear to my heart is, um, Were You There? Or, or Where Were You? And it's a song by Ghost Ship. And in this song, he... He's complaining about God, God, kind of why are you doing this? And at the end, he says, I sought things that were too wonderful for me, and I didn't understand. And then at the end, it says, but my God knelt and answered me. And God is gracious and merciful and kind, even when we are not. Remember, when we are faithless, God is always faithful. So we're going to be in Job chapter 8. Let's stand as we read the word of God, if you're able. Job chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Stand as we read. Man answered, Bildad the Shuite, and said, How long wilt thou speak these things? And how long shall thy words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment? Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? If thy children have sinned against him, and he has cast them away for their transgression, if thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word. Now will you bless the preaching of your word, that Christ would be exalted, your name would be praised, and we would learn how to walk in this life full of brokenness. Lord God, that we would learn how to minister to one another out of our brokenness while they're in their brokenness. Father, that you would just help us and hold us and keep us and move in us and through us and grant us mercy to understand. Because, Father, it is not about the man who, who speaks up here. It's about the word of God proclaimed and explained. So I pray that you would be glorified today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so Job chapter 8 was written to show that Job's friends, they presumed to judge by their own opinions and assumed wrong things about God's blessings. They assumed that God would bless absolutely every obedience. And we're going to hopefully learn that that's not always true. Now, now, we're not talking about the eternal blessings that we get, but the temporary earthly blessings here. Today you will see that you are not to presume to judge by your opinions, but you, and you cannot assume that God will give blessings whenever we are obedient. Because if you read scripture, obedience doesn't always gather blessing. And we'll talk about that as we go along. So our first truth today is don't presume to judge men by your opinions. Let me help you here. I don't care what you feel. What does God's word say? And if that is offensive, I am sorry. But hopefully the word of God is offending you and not me. Because listen, you are... Feelings are valid. I, I don't want to say that they're not. But in the end, we must let our feelings be, be under the sovereignty of God's hand and God's pleasure. So let's move on. Uh, Job 8.1 Then answered Bildad the Shuite and said, How long wilt thou speak, on these, uh, speak these things? How long shall the words of thy mouth be a strong wind? So after the words of Job ended in Job 7, Bildad the Shuite couldn't restrain himself. And he had to answer. And he had to ask some questions. So Bildad will answer Job, and he will do so harshly. In the middle of his response, we understand that Job is going through struggling, and he's not going to treat Job well in the midst of the struggling. But, but listen, Bildad will say some right things. So we need to learn from the right things, but let's not follow his example on the wrong things. So he asked Job, how long will he continue to speak these things? So the question that comes to mind is, what things? Well, hopefully if you've been through our little journey through Job, um, we have to look at how Job opens his mouth and complaint in chapter 3, and then he continues in five, uh, 6 and 7. So in chapter 3, he wanted the day that he was born to just disappear, just cease to be, just to be erased, be eaten up, and no longer ever called the day. That's what he wanted. So instead of 365 days, he wanted 364 days. Okay? And so this is interesting. He said he would rather have been stillborn. Well, in chapter 6, he says his grief is so overwhelming and he begins to blame God and even attacking God in a way because God had allowed this to him. And he says, God, just destroy me. Put me out of my misery. And by the way, his friends were no better. Okay, his friends were, were treacherously judging him wrongly for his supposed sin. In, in chapter 7, he complained of the, that time was brief for man on the earth. And he wanted his time to be ended. He's, he's wondering, God, why do you even visit me with life? I'd rather be dead. 
Guys, he's broken and he's hurting. I want you to listen to Job chapter 7, verse 20. It says, I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? Even though Job holds on to his integrity, even though he doesn't turn against God, he makes this statement, but as a part of a rhetorical question that he actually really wants answered. He is hurting and he's broken and he's angry. And so he's asking if he, if he had sinned, what is that to God? Why? You know, see, he's speaking to the God of heaven and he called him the watcher and preserver of men. The one who sustains all men upon the earth until they meet their end. Remember, if you guys just fast forward to Colossians about 1.17, in Christ all things hold together. He is sustaining everything. If he were to take a vacation, we are all done. And we would have no hope. Because the earth would go careening out of control. Because it is held in place by the sovereign hand of God. And so he is the one. But Bildad has many issues. But I believe he is right to ask this question. How long will the complaining and the wrong thoughts about God continue? The second uh, you know, question is asked, how long, how, how long do we have to listen to your boisterous and vehement hate, uh, not hate, sorry, anger or wrong thoughts about God and about what God is doing? See, Bildad was right in his assessment of Job's wrong thoughts about God, but he was wrong in, in applying sin to Job. He was wrong in assuming that this was all because of his sinfulness. This was for the glory of God. It actually reminds you of the story of the blind man, doesn't it? And the disciples look at the blind man and go, Hey, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this guy or his parents? And Jesus said, No, dog. That was for... It's to show my glory. The glory of God. That God would be glorified. And that God would be lifted up. But then, then, then Bildad asks this amazing, these two amazing questions. Listen, Job 8.3. Doth God pervert judgment? Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? Does God pervert judgment? Does God pervert what is right? Does God pervert goodness? Does he go against his own goodness? Absolutely not. God does not pervert or twist right judgment and righteousness. God never perverts anything, uh, not his righteousness, not his judgment, but he cannot be but the just one. He only can be just. He is not just just, he is the epitome of justice. He is all that is right. There's a word that I learned a couple of years ago by, uh, from R.C. Sproul. It's a word, aseity. God is not just just. He is all that justice is in God. He is the, the definition of justice. And so then we read a passage that you guys have already heard. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. And listen to what we read. 
Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute justice, judgment and justice in the earth. His days, in his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safety, safely. And then it says, and this is his name whereby he is called. Listen, the Lord our righteousness. This is brilliant. This righteous branch will execute judgment. He will accomplish what is just and right in the earth. And this branch is the Lord our righteousness. It's actually pronounced Jehovah Titskenu. Hopefully I'm saying that right, but I hope we don't have any Greek, uh, Hebrew scholars here. They can figure that out on their own. Um, so the Lord God must be righteous, and he is. By the way, Jesus is righteous. He is the just one or the righteous one from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, as well as the Holy Spirit who will convict the world of righteousness and of judgment. We have, and that's in John chapter 16, verse 8 and 9. God cannot be unjust. <clears throat> I had somebody say yesterday, because I believe God is sovereign and has planned out absolutely everything in his word. And he said, well, no, no, it's only because he knows the future. God, if God did plan it, then God would be unjust and deceitful. And I'm thinking to myself, you're making too little of God. We have a God that is bigger and does what he darn well pleases and doesn't need our permission. And so I want you to listen to this beautiful poem. It's called The Lord, Our Righteousness, The Watchword of the Reformers. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah Tzitzkena was nothing to me. I oft read with pleasure to soothe or engage Isaiah's wild measure and John's simple page. But even when they pictured the blood-sprinkled tree, Jehovah Tzitzkena seemed nothing to me. Like tears from the daughters of Zion that roll, I wept when the waters went over his soul. Yet thought not that my sins had nailed to the tree, Jehovah Tzitzkenu, t'was nothing to me. When free grace awoke me, by light from on high, then legal fear shook me, I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety, in self could I see, Jehovah Tzitzkenu, my savior must be. My terrors all vanished before the sweet name, my guilty fears van uh, banished. With boldness I came to drink from the fountain, life-given and free. Jehovah's Tzitzkenu is all things to me. Jehovah's Tzitzkenu, my treasure, my boast. Jehovah's Tzitzkenu, I never can be lost. In thee I shall conquer by flood and by field. My cable, my anchor, my breastplate, my shield. Even when treading the valley, the shadow of death, this watchword shall rally my faltering breath. For while from life's fever, my God sets me free. Jehovah sits Kenu, my death song shall be. All I could say is amen to the Lord of righteousness. Because think about it. He is everything that is right. 
The reason why we have this word of God is because he is good and he is right. And he doesn't leave us without a witness. And this word of God is our only witness. Our opinions mean nothing. But the word of God is everything. I want you to think through this. Romans chapter 3 verse 4. Listen to what it says. God forbid. Let God be true. But every man a liar. As it is written. That thou mightest be justified in thy sayings. And mightest overcome when thou art judged. This is amazing. God, God forbid that we should think that God is anything but true. He is true. And right. And forever. If you remember from Sunday school last week, we were talking about Psalm 19. 1 through 6 is general revelation that we can see that God exists by looking at the creation around us. I almost got dizzy. But... Then seven on, it talks about special revelation and what the law of God does, what the statute of God does, and it converts souls and makes us simple wise. And so God will be justified in his sayings and he will be blameless when he is judged. But Bildad said that, said what Bildad said before this point was actually right. And now he will speak what he ought not speak. Look at verse 4. If thy children have sinned against him, and he had cast them away for their transgression. He moved to attacking the very heart of Job in regards to his children. He just lost his children. And now he's speaking ill of his children. Okay, so what, what kind of friend is this? Is this the right time to begin to address the kids? You know, is this the right time to have this conversation? Okay, he has failed to see the hurt of his friends. He actually, listen, and please let me again say this. His friends were good friends. They came and they, uh, they came to comfort him. They took off of their lives to come and minister to this friend, to this brother. But they have some wrong thoughts. He's not understanding that though his words may be uh, maybe wrong in a birth and brokenness and hurt. God is able to bear Job's hurts. Have you ever wondered why the psalm says, How long, O Lord? How long will this continue? Or maybe even, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far away from helping me? In the daytime you do not hear, in the nighttime I am not silent. That's Psalm 22. And those are the words of Jesus. Listen, guys, all I can tell you is as we walk through, God can handle our hurts and our brokenness and our issues and our problems. And so he's just not understanding. He told Job that his children have sinned against God. He is now acting as if he knows what God was thinking, what God was doing, and the reason for this calamity that has come upon them. He is assuming that his children have done the unthinkable. He is assuming grievous sin on their parts that brought this calamity upon them. He assumed that God has cast them away because of them breaking God's law. Though I do not believe Job's children loved, uh, loved God, that's not the point. That is not the point at all. It's, you know, you know the point is that they're dead. And he is assuming he knows the reason. 
I'm sorry. Did anyone see when the sons of God were gathering together? It said the sons of God gathered and Satan was among them as well to present them before the Lord. Oh, and Bildad. Did it say that? Oh, no. And Eliphaz. Okay. It doesn't say anyone else was there but God and these angels. So Bildad has no clue. He has no clue. And so, Bildad is attacking Job by saying that God did this because of their sinfulness. With friends like this, by the way, who needs enemies? Um, why is it that Christians actually seem to shoot their wounded? You know, and I'm not picking on all Christians. I'm just saying, why does that seem to be? We beat down those that are already beat down. It is because we sometimes think we know what God is allowing them to go through and the reason why they're going through these struggles. We seem to have the upper hand and know that. At times we're afraid because this could ha what happened to them can happen to us. Or maybe we are in the same sin they are, but they just don't know it. That can happen. Sometimes, guys, we have to understand what God does he does what he does. And we have to rest in the fact that God is God and we are not. I know that I, if that if that has shaken anyone's world that you're not God, I'm not sorry. Okay? Second Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. What I love is we who are redeemed, we who belong to God, we have a task before us. Our task is to comfort others. We are called to, by the God of all comfort, who has and does and will comfort us in all, all, all of our struggles. Every one of them. So that we would be able to comfort others with the same comfort that we ourselves have received. We are called to comfort with the gospel, the truths of God that he has used to comfort us. We have an amazingly awesome God. We are, you know, we are the ones that God has called to be, to be avenues of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. But by the way, we are also called to help failing and ailing Christians look to Christ and press on in Christ. That's a goal. It's a responsibility. Men do not answer to us. Let us stop assuming we know what ails men. Okay, we do know what ails men. Sin ails men. It ails all men. But we don't always know what God is doing in their lives. And so... Let's be real careful. Definitely address sin. But don't think you know what sin they're in every time. Well, that's why we walk with grace and with mercy and with kindness and walk them through the gospel. It is the gospel that saves. And it's the gospel that keeps. I always hear people say, oh, we must move on to the, to the meat of the word. The meat of the word is still the gospel. It has not changed. We need the gospel every day. 
We need to have lives of repenting and believing. Whereas those who do not know Christ need to repent and believe so that they can continue to repent and believe the gospel. So let us not presumptuous, presumptuous, but prayerful. Let's be prayerful. So our first one is don't presume by your own opinions. Our second is don't assume blessings will come from obedience. Now this is hard because I know when I look at our, our Christian world, you can name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, and get whatever you want because God is your little genie in a bottle. Absolutely not. That is not the God of Scripture. And so, before continuing, we must remember that salvation does bring eternal blessings, much like dying lost without Christ will bring eternal consequences or eternal damnation. The blessings of this world are not guaranteed just because you expect it. Ease of life is not promised. For Jesus himself says in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is brilliant. This world is full of struggles. This world is full of trials. This world is full of temptation. This world is full of pain. But we must remain. Sorry, I'm not sure what is. Oh, yeah, that's what happened. I thought that was really neat. Childproof. How's that? Can you hear me now? All right. It seems quieter, doesn't it? All right, I'll leave that alone. So Jesus has overcome the world, but we are still called to navigate this world until he returns or calls us home. And so Job 8, 5, if thou wouldest seek God betimes and make thy supplications to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteous, righteousness prosperous. Now he turns to Job and he began to give advice that is good had Job been in sin and caused this mess he was in. But again, like his other friend, Bildad, he's given right words to the wrong guy at the wrong time. And so he challenged Job to seek God and supplicate and plead, pour out his prayers to the Almighty, to the sovereign God who rules it all. Now in practicality, that's exactly what Job should be doing. But isn't he doing that? Even wrongly, he is crying out before God. He, he, he knows where his hope is. He's just right now, he's hopeless. And not seeing God as the God of hope. So, Job does cry out, even though he has maybe some wrong motives and hard motives due to his brokenness. But that's not Bildad's point. He is ruling in judgment over Job. He told Job that if he was pure and he was clean, if he were upright and did what was right, God would have already moved. Job, the reason why you're struggling right now is because you're not pure, you're not upright, and you're not clean. I want you to listen to Bildad's words. Surely now he would awake for thee. 
Surely by this time, uh, his integrity would have already moved and maybe this would not have happened to him. Bildad, as well as Eliphaz, have a wrong view of God and the wrong view of grace. Guys, listen, the book of Job, and if I can say it one more time, just for fun, is not about Job. It is about the God who holds Job. It's about the God who keeps Job. Job is, is, is this book, and I know it's hard to understand. By the way, let me let you know, it's also hard to preach. We know this because he continues in the fact that he promises Job blessing if he would just be upright. Look at verse 7. Though thy beginning was small, thy latter end shall greatly increase. Though his beginning may have been small, though he may not have had an abundance. By the way, he did have an abundance. Okay, He promises something way beyond his pay grade. He promises that his latter end, not his eternal end, his later life will be filled with greater increase. You know, I find it really funny when I think through Job. Everyone says, but he got all his kids back in the end. No, not the same kids. Guys, this is not about, oh, look, see, Job gave it all back. I mean, God gave it all back. That's not it. This story is not about Job. Yes, praise God that he blessed him with more children, but it doesn't take away the hurt of the children that he lost. So let's not go, oh, but he got back. No. Guys, let's think, what is God teaching us about himself in that text? Is he holds his saints. He holds his people. Here's a question or a statement in my mind that has been, how presumptuous, how prideful and arrogant, thinking that he knows the very will of God and the reason for these sufferings. Guys, I'm sorry, Bildad doesn't get paid enough for that. And neither do you and I. I want you to listen to um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's words. This was the reasoning of Bildad the Shuite. He wished to prove that Job couldn't possibly be an upright man, for if he were so, here he affirms that his prosperity would increase continually, and that if he fell into trouble, God would awake for him and make his habitation of, of, of his righteousness prosperous. Though his family now all destroyed and all his wealth scattered to the winds, if he were an upright man, God would surely appear to him, appear for him, and his latter end would greatly increase. See, Bildad, I mean, it seems Spurgeon agrees. Bildad is thinking wrongly. So, amazing. Even if life were quid pro quo, you do, God does. You do, God does. You do, God does. Would that not point to a workspace salvation? All I've got to do is perform. And God will give me what I want. All I have to do is is. Do the A, B, C, D, and E, and I'm good to go. So here's the question that comes to my mind. Would that not be God, our, make God a little genie in a bottle that only gives us what we want? If that is true, here's my questions for you. Why does Job suffer? Forget him. 
Why does Jeremiah suffer even at the hands of his own people? He suffers hardship and rejection from God's people. Or Paul suffering. There's a thorn in my flesh put here by Satan to buffet me. And I cried out three times unto the Lord to remove this. And the Lord responds with, responds with, my grace is, oh gosh, what's that word? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Sufficient enough. By the way, I thank, I thank you guys for, for playing along. Okay, so here's another question, just for fun. Why does the righteous branch suffer? Why did Jesus have to die? Not only die, but die one of the worst deaths you could possibly die on a tree. Why? All for the glory of God. Because listen, guys, salvation is for the glory of God. Okay? God is only about his own glory. It's not about you and it's not about me. But praise God, the God of all glory and honor chooses to save sinners through the death of his son. Otherwise, we're all hopeless and done. Bildad doesn't understand, and yet he continues, for he knows better. Look at Job 8, 8, uh, 8, 8 yeah. For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to search uh, the search of their fathers. For we are but yesterday and know nothing, because our day is upon the earth, or a shadow. Shall not they teach thee and tell thee in utter words out of, their own, out of their heart? So he calls Job to inquire. He begs Job to seek the former age. He begs him to go and seek those of a bygone era, a bygone time. Uh, his, you know, he goes back and see. Seek those who are all but forgotten by their fathers, who have sought out concerning the same former age and sought to find wisdom of this former age can now somehow speak into the battle of the heart within Job. He gives another glimpse of wisdom. He realizes that his friends and Job are but of yesterday. Guys, listen. Every one of us from, from zero to 80, I think that's the age range we have right now, are but a, a breath, a mist. Of vapor. Okay? And so I want you to think, he says, we're by of yesterday. So you should seek out those that have come before us. Okay? But what I love is what he does. He says, you know, the, the ones of old can teach you some wisdom. And then Bildad speaks for the wisdom. He speaks as if he knows what the old timers will say. Even though he has admitted to not knowing much, and now he's gonna speak out of his overflow of not knowing much. He gives some things that are true again. Can rush or, or papyrus grow out of muck? Can flag or reeds grow from water? Okay, the answer, of course, for these, uh, you know, is they, they grew, you know, when you look at them, yes, they can grow, but they'll grow quick when they have uh, some water. But if that water is not sustained, they quickly die. They quickly perish and are caught down before they reach their maturity. Look at Job 8.13. So are the paths of all that forget God. And listen, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. So 
Men that forget God will be quickly cut off as per Bildad. They will not reach maturity. He's making a statement about prosperity of the wicked that the wicked will not prosper. And we know this is not true necessarily in our world. Okay? We, we, we know that there, that there eventually will be a judgment coming for them, but not quickly like Bildad assumes. And by the way, we're going to hit um, Psalm uh, 73 a little later that'll explain that so just hold on to that thought Job 8:14. what hope shall be cut off whose hope shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a spider's web the hope and confidence of the wicked will be cut off it eventually will but Bildad seemed to think it will happen quickly and that is not often the case otherwise look at our world today a lot of these wicked people would have already perished. By the way, before Christ, I would have perished. God is an amazingly patient God. Even though he tells us that, uh, that judgment's coming, he constantly calls us to repentance because we are responsible to turn to Christ and live. And so... So he, 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 you have these, this spider web. The web, the webs are quickly built, but also quickly broken. They're not so secure. My hand can take down a web rather quickly. It's usually my face. Okay. When you walk in. Yeah. Sorry. By the way, that scares the tar out of me. I just want to throw that out for fun. And so what that can be destroyed with the swing of a hand or a broom. And it's done. It's utter destruction. Okay? So, Job 8.15. He shall lean upon his house, and it shall not stand. It shall, he shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. The wicked will lean and trust in this house, but it cannot endure. By the way, when you hit those spider webs, they go with it. They don't, they don't, they, either they'll, if you pull it all down, they'll go down with what you pull. Otherwise, they're just trying to climb up the rest of the web that's still hanging. But it doesn't endure long. Job 8.16 He is green before the sun, and his branch shooteth forth in the garden. His roots are wrapped around a about a heap, and seeth the place of stones. And it destroy him from his place. If he destroy uh, from his place, if he destroy him from his place, then it shall deny him, saying, I never knew thee. The sinful man will be green and lush and look like it is growing and maturing, but like a, like a weed that grows off across the garden, wraps himself in, you know, the, the, the what do they call them? The weeds, that, the, the wrapping weeds that choke things out. I don't know what those are called. Weeds? Okay, yeah, we'll call weeds. Okay, and... It intertwines itself around this heap of stones that has no life in it. When it is destroyed, the place where it grew from won't even recognize him, and a new one will shoot up in its place. And look at verse 19. Uh, it says, Job 8, 19, Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth shall grow, uh, others grow. And so... He called Job to pay attention, to behold, to see that this hopelessness, that this wicked is in, all of his joy is in this temporary life, and then it's gone and unremembered. And another one comes up in its place. Job 8.20. Behold, I love this. Behold, 
God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers. I'm wondering if Bildad's listening to his words, just saying. But he wanted Job to behold that God will not cast out a perfect man, one that is true. God will never help evildoers. Yet, in, in his eyes, God has already cast Job away. Otherwise, this conversation would not be happening. There is an assumption made that Job is a wicked man and they're calling Job to get right. But what's really interesting is the end of verse 20, which says, neither will he help evildoers. By the way, if you are in Christ, praise be to God. If you're not, does it not rain on the just and the unjust? Does he not give air for your lungs? That even atheists actually have to use the air that God gave them? Just interesting. Job 8.21 Till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing and they that hate thee shall be clothed with shame and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. God will be faithful is what uh, what Bildad says. And by the way, he's right. God will be faithful. God God will do what is what is good and right. He 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 will give us joy and laughter. Maybe not always in this world. Okay, but he's saying that Job will have his mouth full of laughing and rejoicing if he would just repent. He again reiterates that the wicked will at that time be clothed with shame, and their place would come to nothing. Or to not. There is a day when Bildad will be correct. And that will be when the roles are called up yonder. You know, that will be in 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 you know in Revelation. Okay? And what is really interesting is it won't happen right away. Guys, if this statement that he says about the wicked are true then all wickedness would be gone and abortion would be illegal. I'm just saying. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be going against God's word as we are right now. And this is why we must be about the gospel. So I want to I give you a couple of things. Here's why, uh, some, some biblical examples on why I believe this is wrong. The northern kingdom of Israel was wicked their entire existence. They were never godly. And the southern kingdom had many good kings, but then they turned as well. Okay? So, God will allow wickedness to continue until he allows it no more. Until he, he shuts it down. This, you know, so God is patient and does not, uh, you know, he does not stop being holy. He accomplishes his will for his glory and in his timing. His timing is good. Even when we think it's not. And his plans are good. I want you to listen to what it says in Revelation. Revelation 21.8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire 
and brimstone, which is the second death. There is a real hell coming. So to assume God will judge the wicked right now, there's, their judgment's coming. Their reward is coming. So we must be about the gospel. Because, guys, I think Spurgeon uh, said it well. If anyone's going to go to hell, let them trip over your dead body getting there. Guys, we are not our own. We've been bought with a high price. The wicked will always be around us. So how do we live in accordance to that truth? The psalmist actually addresses this in Psalm 73, uh, verse 12. It says, Behold, these ungodly who prosper in the world, they increase in riches. The psalmist is broken, he's undone, and he's worrying about how the wicked are prospering. His focus is not on God. But then what I love is he goes to prayer. The psalmist goes to God in prayer and he learns. Listen to what he says in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. The psalmist had to come to grips with the fact that God will take care of the wicked in his timing and not our timing. In his ways and not our ways. He is the sovereign God. And we are called not to worry about what the wicked would do, but to stand for truth, to combat the lies, to glorify his name, for he will make all things new. This actually comes... Uh, into play, and I just like to walk through it because I've been walking through it a lot lately in Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 5. Maybe. Yep, almost. Um, uh, verse 4, I'm sorry. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Guys, it is really easy to get caught up in worry and concern about how our culture is going, how our world is going, uh, whether or not this judge will be elected or this judge will be appointed. Okay, We, we are not called to worry like this world. I'll give you an example. We could pray for the choice that we want, and then we pray for the choice that we've gotten. Because God has called us to be a people of prayer. Think of 1 Timothy chapter 2. He, he, Paul says, I desire all men to have all the hands lifted up, praying for kings and rulers. So we have, uh, we have this amazing... So here's what we do. We rejoice. How, how often should we rejoice? We should just rejoice and rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. It is something he has called us to do. We should let our moderation, our gentleness be made known unto all men. And we shouldn't worry. 
but in worry we bring our our prayers and our supplications which are prayers our thanksgiving which are prayers our requests which are prayers we bring them for god we give them to him he gives us peace that surpasses goes beyond transcends all understanding and he will guard our hearts and our minds in christ jesus that is a promise but then he tells us what to do in verse 8 he tells us how i want to read it to you because it's good finally brethren whatever things are true by the way let me help you here christ is true whatever things are honest by the way christ is honest whatever things are just can you figure out who's next christ is just okay whatever things are pure christ is pure Whatever things are lovely, well, Christ is lovely. Whatever things have a good report, he's got the best reputation. If there's anything uh, of any virtue, he's virtuous. If there's anything worthy of praise, of course he's praiseworthy. Let me end with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Can I say one more thing before we pray? Uh, because I can. Grace greater than my sin. I want you to listen. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount upward. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Dark is a stain that we cannot hide. Um, what can we do uh, to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Brighter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. You who are, that are longing to see his face, will you at this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Father, will you glorify your great name? Lord God, be honored and adored because, Lord God, we need you. We need your mercy. We need your truth. We need your promises. Father, let Christ be exalted in your name and praised. Father, today, Lord God, help us not to be presumptuous or prayerful. Not be assuming that we'll get riches when we do what you want because we're obedient. Because, Lord God, blessings don't always follow obedience unless we're talking about eternity. Lord, I ask that you would just give us mercy. Help us to live out your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.